Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all, all the more as you see the day approaching. This is a, a passage that we often use when we talk about community. Because it does, in a very special way, describe community. And it's not just any community, but a community that is drawn together by the love of Jesus. And by our ability to come without shame before God. I told you last week about some of the struggles that I have had in my life and continue to go through. I told you about the deep depression and anxiety that I went through, how I was even hospitalized for a time, and how I came out of that. But I didn't describe to you last week about what specifically helped me come out of that dark period of my life. And what helped me get through that dark period of my life was, in fact, community. While I was deep in depression, I did not know what to do. I did not know how to fix what was wrong with me. I couldn't control what I was thinking or feeling. And I knew, because I had gone to church long enough, what I should be doing in order to fix what was wrong with me. But the problem was I wasn't capable of doing any of those things. And besides, I tried and they weren't working for me anymore. You know, someone comes up to you when you're in the middle of a deep trouble and they say, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And you're like, oh, if it were only that easy. I didn't really know what to do, but more importantly, I was growing more and more distant from everything and I was trying to find my place within the faith community as I was losing touch with everything around me. And I was told by someone who loves me and cares for me deeply that if I made certain choices or did certain things during that time that I was going to isolate myself from the faith community. I, basically what he meant was you better not cross this line because if you do, there is no place for you here. And that froze me in, in my place because I was faced with the choice of pretending that I was getting better when I really wasn't, or I had to walk away from the faith community altogether because there wasn't a place for someone who was struggling as deeply as I was. But there were two things that changed that. The first thing is my wife, Nisha. Even though I said some awful things to her, even though I was less than a person, for quite a while, Nisha refused to let me go. Even when others were telling her to leave me and to walk away, Nisha knew that God was going to help her and me through this. And ironically, Nisha's relationship with God grew more and more deep as she struggled with what to do with me. And our marriage got better, even though I was such a mess and a wreck. And secondly, the church that I worked for, you have to remember I was preaching at this time. This church that I worked for and that I was supposed to be the spiritual leader of, let me be the broken man that I was. People prayed for me. People left me alone. They gave me four months off with pay so that I could figure out what was going on in my life. 
The elders gave me the time off and encouraged me not to rush back even when I was ready to come. And let me just tell you something. There is no other community or place where a core value would be to treat me like that. Think of, is there any other job you would have where they would say, we want you to get better, take as much time as you need, don't worry about anything else. Why did Nisha treat me the way that she did? Why did this community treat me the way that they did? There is one reason. Nisha loves Jesus. And that church loves Jesus. And guess what Jesus does? Jesus changes everything. And therefore, they treated me differently than any other place would. We often talk about churches, well, I shouldn't say we do, people outside of the church often talk about churches as being the perfect place for perfect people. And the the thing is, that could not be any farther from the truth. Because the church is the perfect place for messed up people. And we know it, don't we? And we are a place where we have all been brought shameless, without guilt, without fear, before a God who sent His Son to die for us. And therefore, we can love each other because we are so loved. People can come here and find the God that loves them, the Son that died for them, and the new life that awaits them. Uh, So, uh, as we've been talking about recently, this is a uh, special time for us here at Sonoma Avenue because uh, the leadership has spent a lot of time over the last year uh, talking and praying and asking God for wisdom and and listening to what God uh, is telling us. And uh, we've done a lot of work to lead us up to this point. And so last week we introduced to you our new vision statement here for the church. Uh, And that statement is, we believe that the love of God in Jesus changes everything. Uh, This is true for all of us who are in relationship with Jesus. And I can just tell you from my own experience, as I talked about last week and this morning, that Jesus changes me. He doesn't change one thing about me. He did not change me once and never changed me again. Jesus changes me all the time in ways that I understand and see and in ways that I'm not even aware of. Sometimes Jesus changes me because I want to be changed. And sometimes Jesus changes me because I need to be changed but don't want to be changed. And I want to, in every moment, embrace the change that God has for me through Jesus Christ. I want to embrace it because that change is not what other people think. You tell someone that Jesus wants to change you outside of the church and they think, well, aren't I okay as I am? Aren't I good enough? Of course you want to change me. That's all that church does is just change people and ask for money. That's why we don't like them. But no, we want to embrace the change that Jesus has for us because that change is not from fun to boring, (laughs) from good to bad, It's none of that. Instead, the change is from death to life, from hurt to restoration. And so we want to embrace that. And the beautiful thing about it is that when we embrace this change, when we understand that there are things about us that Jesus needs to be, needs to change, that we need to have changed, we don't have to come here and pretend like everything is okay. We don't have to try to be the perfect people that everyone thinks we should be. We don't have to pretend like we don't have any problems or or that there's nothing going on that we should be worried about. We don't have to pretend that we know all the answers or know what to do all the time because here is my story and it's the same story for you. I am a sinner, but God loves me. And Jesus died so that I would not have to carry the burden of my sin. Jesus rose so that my sin could no longer claim any hold on me. And who I am 
now is different than who I was before I met Jesus. And who I am now is different than who I was when I first met Jesus. And who I am now is different than who I was five years ago. Thank God. Because Jesus is always changing us and working on us. And so as we said, that transfers over to what we believe as a church. We believe as a church that God is changing all of us as individuals and that God is changing us as an organization. That no matter, no matter who you are, God wants to transform you into something new. We believe that change is a good thing. That it's not a bad thing. And we believe that through the love of Jesus, God is not only changing one life, but all life as we know it. That the love of God in Jesus changes the world. And therefore, and this is important for us here this morning, because the love of God in Jesus has changed us personally, it changes the way we see ourselves, it changes the way we understand God, it changes the way that we see other people, from our spouses and our children to strangers on the street. It changes the way we act, the way we speak, the way that we treat others. The love of God in Jesus changes the way that we interpret the needs of others. They don't just need a friend, they need to know Jesus. And we believe that the love of God in Jesus changes what? Everything. Everything. It changes everything. And that is our vision as we go forward. We want to be a place where people are changed every day by the love of Jesus Christ. We want to be a family that is changed every moment by the love of Jesus Christ. We want to be, get this, this is a good term here, you're going to like it. Are you ready? Perpetually becoming. Mm, Good, right? I just thought of that. If you want to write that down for me, because I'm going to forget later. Perpetually becoming, always moving into the space that Jesus is opening up for us. So we believe that Jesus changes everything. But what does that specifically mean for us as a church? Because as wonderful as that is, to say that Jesus changes everything about us, what does that change actually look like? Now, You might already have answers to that question forming in your head, but you need to stop for a second and check yourself. Because that question is a really, really, really big question. What does that mean for us as a church that God changes everything? And the challenge is that there are a myriad of different ways that we can answer that question, right? And probably each of us in this room has an idea of what God should change about us first. (laughs) Or who God should start with. (laughs) Take a moment and think about all of the different ways, categories, ministries, and efforts that churches have implemented to bring change to their communities. Think about all the things you've ever heard of a church doing. Any church. Think about all the things that they've tried. All the identities that they have put on. Your mind might already be making some sort of laundry list of things that have been done to help change the communities that churches are and that they live in. And as I told you last week, I've been doing this for a little while, even though I'm young, for 22 years. And I've been involved with lots of different communities. And each one of them wanted to make a difference for God within their communities, but each one of them took a different path or plan to do so. And here's my point. In a world of possibilities where God just lifts the lid off the thing, it can be overwhelming to know where to start. It can be overwhelming to know where to start. After all, Jesus doesn't change some things. He changes everything. Jesus changes everything. But if we are going to be effective ambassadors for God, we have to make some choices, right? 
I mean, we can't just try to do everything. We're a small group of people that loves God and loves each other. But we have to make some choices in terms of what we can do and how we can do it. We want to make a difference in the world, but we have to somehow identify what it is that Jesus specifically wants us to change, who he wants us to be. We talked about this several weeks ago, about how we find a vision from God. So again, I want to share with you, because I think this is important. I don't want you to take it for granted that the leadership of this church spent a year or more trying to find answers to some of these questions. A year or more of putting things together, of praying, of changing things, of disagreeing, of agreeing, of of thinking something was going to work and then scrapping it and then coming up with something new, of asking other people that God has spoken through to come and help us and to help us form different things. So we have worked long and hard on this to try to come up with Something that we believe God wants us to be, to have, to have a vision for who we are. So what we've identified is that there are values that we want to live by as a church. If our vision is that God, that, that through the love of God in Jesus, it changes everything. I already messed that up, right? I still need to work on this. That if Jesus changes everything, right? then what are the values that we want to live by so that we're joining Jesus and changing everything? So we have identified uh, four different values that we believe that God wants us to focus on as a church. And these are the values that we want to live by. The kinds of things we want to accomplish. The areas that we want to make sure God is doing transformational work in us. You with me? Yes, good. So the first value is this. Our first value is we want people to belong. Because Jesus changes the way that we experience community. Our first value is belong. Because Jesus changes the way that we experience community. And here's how we as a leadership have worked to define this. We are a family that accepts accepts people as they are. Our family looks out for one another and encourages each other to be more like Jesus every day. We take responsibility for one another and strive to help each other know the love of Jesus in all of life's ups and downs. We believe that we are called into community with one another as we are called into community with God. We believe that we're supposed to be here and that we are supposed to be family. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open back up to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to look at this verse again as we unpack this a little bit. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay, so we believe that Jesus changes everything. And more specifically, we believe that Jesus changes how we experience community. And within this passage, we see something key to how Jesus actually changes community. How the Christian community should be different than other communities. We're going to talk about that more in a second. But the writer of Hebrews here spells something out for us that we need to appreciate. There is a reason 
why a community that is formed by Jesus is different than another community. And it starts out with each one of us as individuals. It starts out with each one of us as individuals. The writer here starts out by describing a change between us as individuals and God. Do you see it? What is the change? At one time, we were not close to God. There was a barrier between God and us. Can you name that barrier? Sin. Death. Those things kept us away from God. But now the Hebrew writer tells us that through Jesus Christ, what has happened? What has happened? There is no more distance between who? God and us. That distance has been removed. The barrier has been removed. Because God loved us and sent Jesus here to sacrifice himself so that sin would go away. I mean, it doesn't go away forever, right? We still sin. But the effects of it are gone. And so listen to what the writer here is describing. Let's appreciate this for a moment. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. Understand what he's saying. We can now come straight to God. The most holy place was that place in the middle of the temple where God's presence was supposed to rest. And it was a place that only one person could go into. Once a year. And that one person had to be completely purified in order to go into that space. And guess what? They were nervous that they might miss something. So they would tie a cord around the high priest's ankle. Because if the high priest went into the most holy place and was not cleansed thoroughly enough, what would happen? God would strike him down. And are you going to go in and get him? I'm not. There was distance between us and God. We were sinful people. And God is the perfect God. But Jesus became the curtain. He became the barrier through his blood. And what did he do? He opened it. So that we can come straight to God. This gives us what? Hope and confidence. We don't have to be ashamed to come before God because God sent Jesus to do the work for us to eliminate the space, to take away the barrier so that we can come straight to God. Church, we drastically underappreciate the fact that we can go straight to God. The fact that we are in His presence, the fact that His Spirit lives in us, This is a miraculous thing. And because that's who we are, our community is changed. We, as these people who now are cleansed and sin is washed away and who can come confidently before God, we meet together. We come and encourage one another. We spur one another on towards love and good deeds as we wait for Jesus to come and take us to the home that God has prepared for us. I want you to accept something this morning which is very important about the community of Jesus. There should be a huge difference between the community of Jesus and any other community. There should be a difference between the community of Jesus and any other community. 
What do I mean by that? There are all kinds of groups, organizations, or even families that we can be a part of. There are all kinds of things that you can get involved with that are doing good things for other people. There's stuff you can do that people are making a difference in the world. But still, there is a difference between those groups, families, organizations, and a group that is brought together by Jesus Christ. Even with the best of intentions, these other things are created by whom? By people. And what do we know very well about people? They are flawed. And even if things start with the very best of intentions, what can happen? Have any of you ever been part of the PTA? Or been a coach on a youth sports team? Or a team mom? If you have, do any of you have families? I assume you all came from somewhere. What do we know? That even in the best of situations with the best of intentions, things can break down, right? Why do they break down? Because people put their own interests in front of the interests of the group. People have moments where they run off on their own, where they want to do their own thing, where they want to put their value out in front of everyone else's values. We are flawed people, and if we are left to our own devices, we are going to have trouble with one another. True? Yes. But a community that is formed by Jesus should be different than that. Give me some space here. If it hears, listens, and follows if it knows God and is living in his presence, it will be a different kind of community than any other kind of community you can compare it to. It just will. And again, it all starts and ends with Jesus. We looked at this passage last week, so if you have your Bibles, open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read this to you again. Here's what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live, this is important, should no longer live for what? Themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, this passage is so rich. There's so much we could say about it. I love it so much. I just do. But it describes, again, part of what Hebrews started to tell us. And that is, we all as individuals are made new in Jesus Christ. Our sin is not held against us. And we live in this shocking moment where God gives us victory over everything that is going on around us. God gives us victory and that thing is so overwhelming that what happens? We are compelled to tell other people about it and to draw them into community with God and with us. 
There's a phrase in this passage that should scare you a little bit. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. Jesus is changing things and the church is the community through which God is introducing the world to his great love in Jesus. And it's a bit of an overwhelming thought if you stop and think about it too long. That God would want to change the world through a community like ours. Look around this room for a second. You know what you see when you look around this room? You see people... You're not looking around the room, by the way. I see a lot of you not looking around the room. You see people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. And you also see people that God wants to go out on his behalf and draw others into community. That is what you see here this morning. We have the gift of reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God. And it's kind of like this. Imagine that you were drowning in debt. It's overwhelming. You come to the end of the road. You don't know what to do. Dangerous knocking on your door and there's no way for you to get out of it. And you're at the grocery store one day trying to figure out what you can even buy for dinner. And someone comes up to you and says, you know, it looks like, looks like you're having a tough time. Can I help you in some way? And for some reason, you just end up spilling your guts to this stranger. And the stranger says, how much, how much debt do you have? You're embarrassed to even say. And he, no, really, tell me. It's okay. And you lay it out there and you tell them how much debt you have and you hang your head in shame. And the person says, oh, is that all? Why don't you let me take care of that for you? And by the way, if you know of anyone else that needs help too, would you please tell them to come to me? Would you please tell them to come to me because I can take care of their debt as well. Our community is based on the life-changing love of Jesus. And Jesus wants us to be a group that changes what family looks like and how different it is. So, okay, what are the specific ways? We've got to get down to this. I'm already, I've already shot my notes to pieces. The first thing is this, acceptance. A community of Jesus is one that accepts people no matter where they are from or what they have been through. It has been said many times, but this is still true. Jesus created the most unexpected kind of community. The most unexpected kind of community. It was full of outsiders. People who had nowhere else to go, people that no one else wanted to be around, people that were doing really terrible things sometimes. Tax collectors who were cheating their, their fellow man, fishermen, prostitutes, the poor, the sick, the diseased. These are the people that made up the primary community of Jesus. But besides that, insiders were also welcome. Priests and teachers, Pharisees, all could come and join the community of Jesus. Jesus ate at the homes of prostitutes and tax collectors and Pharisees alike. He was happy to go anywhere and be with anyone. Because when it came to being in community with Jesus, who was welcome to join that community? Everyone was welcome to join that community. It didn't matter who you were or where you were from. Everyone was welcome to come. Acceptance is a little bit of a scary word and you may already be thinking about the tension that that word can create within a church. We accept people. But here's something I want you to consider. Jesus was a pretty smart dude. Being the son of God, 
often makes that the case. And he knew something that we sometimes forget. He knew that people would not get to know him and therefore not get to experience the love of God if he would not allow them to spend time with him because of who they were. Do you get that? People would not get to know him and not get to know the love of God if he would not allow them to be with him because of who they were. They had to be with him to get to know him. And guess what happened as they got to know him? They became different people. But where did it start? Come on. You're welcome here. Join me. A second characteristic of a Jesus-formed community is encouragement. Okay? And encouragement can take lots of different forms. You're doing great. Way to go. That is so awesome. But it can also take the form where it's not just a you're okay kind of message. Jesus encouraged people to have a better life. But wait, didn't you just say that Jesus loved people as they were? Yes. Didn't you just say that he accepted people? Yes. But you cannot forget that as much as Jesus loved and accepted the stranger who came from who knows where, he was also there to die for that stranger. Because he knew that person was living a life where they were trapped by sin. And what did Jesus want? To set them free from that thing, from that sin, from that distance from God. God's love is shown through the death of Jesus because we are all still sinners and without that sacrifice, we would still be trapped in our sin. So get this, Jesus encouraged people as they got to know him and to understand him, to draw near to God, to look forward to his kingdom, to leave their lives of sin behind because Jesus wanted them to have a better life. He literally, church, offered them something better than what it was that they had before. We are guilty, as Christians in America, of not believing that we have something better to offer others. As if they somehow don't need what Jesus has to offer. We are tragically wrong in that assessment. Jesus believed that everyone, he knew that everyone needed what he had to offer, so he encouraged everyone to live a different kind of life. Like it says in Hebrews 10, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Let us spur one another on towards the change that Jesus has for us. Number three, accountability is the next characteristic. Jesus challenged people all the time, and when he saw something that was wrong, what did he do? He pointed it out. And depending on the person's attitude, he would point it out in different ways. Now, we are not Jesus, and we are warned often in the Bible about being judgmental, hypocritical, and prideful, which tells us that we have often carried out accountability in the wrong kind of way. Look at you, Dan. I'm looking at you. Look at what you're not doing. Look at what you are doing. How could you be this kind of person? Don't you love Jesus? That is sometimes what accountability has looked like within the church. When are you going to stop being this and start being that? But Jesus knew that accountability was a big part of what made the community work. And so we are called to mutual accountability. He called 12 men to follow him. He taught them, ate with them, slept on the ground with them, washed their feet, empowered them. He lived life with them. And you know what else he did? He challenged them constantly to live a different way. He held them accountable. He called them out when they were being absolute boneheads. But he still lived with them and ate with them and slept on the ground with them, and washed their feet, and empowered them, and saw them all the way through. 
If you don't know this yet, you're going to learn this. We all need someone to hold us accountable in our relationship with Jesus. Need. We need a community that will not just let us disappear. We need a community that is going to gather around us and help us be more like Jesus. We need that if we are going to grow into the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be. And lastly, and this is important to tie all of this together, the last characteristic of a community of Jesus is it helps. I mean like helps in real ways. We bring meals to each other. We help each other when people are down financially. We pray for one another. We do all of these different things. And here's the thing. that I, Jesus did not point something out and then walk away from someone with like a, hey, good luck with that. He didn't do that. Instead, he would teach and bless and heal and give and invite these people who were hurting and struggling to come with him and discover what life in God could be like. And as a community of Jesus, we are not to leave others by the side of the road. We are to be involved in one another's lives. We don't just point out what's wrong. We walk alongside one another. We open ourselves up and ask for help. We support each other as we are being continually transformed into the image of Jesus. Mike Smith is going to come down here and he's going to share with you just for a moment or several moments why this value of belonging and changing the idea of community is so important to him. Okay, um, yeah, Bryce asked me to share a few thoughts. So, uh, on a community and what I have experienced, and so I just wrote down a, a few things here. And I, so, in the past, before I became a Christian, uh, the ways I experienced community were far different uh, from the ways that I uh, experience community today. In the past, those community experiences. Uh, revolve generally around my family, my immediate family, primarily Vera. Uh, those past community experiences revolved around my work. I, uh, there was all kinds of activities and ways in which uh, it's a very strong community of police officers. So <laughs> um, that was another way in which I uh, experienced community. And then all, I had with the few friends that I had, um, the activities, the sports, the fishing, diving, all those kind of things were with a community that I uh, was familiar with and comfortable with. Uh, and generally, I think I found acceptance uh, with these groups. But um, it did feel that I needed to uh, look like I had my life together, that uh, I was doing okay, Um with the exception of Vera, I, I really didn't feel free to share when I was having difficulties, and difficulties came and were very troubling. And uh, so I kept this to myself and um, kind of felt like I was a lone ranger. Um, and I don't know where that came from. I think that was the model my dad showed me. Or demonstrated for me. Um, maybe I got it from television. <laughs> the Lone Ranger was one of my idols. So I, at some point in our marriage, and I guess in the, around uh, year seven or eight, uh, Vera began attending church regularly in uh, Petaluma, the uh, Church of Christ there. And uh, on and off, I worked a lot of weekends, and I had other activities that took me away on weekends. But on and off, I would go with Vera and our girls. And uh, But it felt to me like I was an outsider uh, looking in at this new community that Vera had found and uh, become a part of. And um, But even looking from the outside, I, I could, I don't know, I didn't know what it was, but I could feel a, a certain transformation taking place within me, a certain draw to this community. Uh, 
Um, they were a very friendly bunch, <laughs> which was was great, but it was a little bit intimidating. Uh, I wasn't used to that level of community, I guess. Um, as I started to become more involved in the activities uh, with them, uh, I, f- I did. I found them to be very accepting. They were encouraging. They were helpful. Um, uh, well, part of the community, my interest in God and in Jesus and the church, they began to grow. I started going to uh, Bible studies at church, at home, in homes. Started going to social events, potlucks, getting involved with others in work days and camping trips, boating trips. Um, I really felt less like an outsider, and the community felt more like family to me. I was learning so much about God, about Jesus, and really this desire was within me now. I wanted to learn more. Eventually, I was baptized. I, I committed myself to uh, becoming a follower of Jesus. And today, I feel that as a church, as a community of Christ followers, um, we need to be finding ways to reach out to those on the outside like I was. Uh, Vera and I have been a part of small groups for years now. And um, the group that we're in meets um and we're learning to live together, share our lives together. We meet Sunday evenings for a Bible study and discussion together. We cover all kinds of topics. Uh, some of those have gotten into difficult and messy areas of life. Um, together, we are learning how to live as God calls us to live. We share our problems and concerns uh, Seeing our eyes, seeing our eyes, seeing our problems through the eyes of Jesus definitely changes things. We pray together, and then when this is, time is over, we have a meal together. We definitely practice this um, Hebrews 10:24. Consider how you can spur one another on toward love and good deeds, uh, not giving up meeting together. Um, so these things have been. Sh- talking about here, sharing, uh, speak to the way we experience community or should experience community. And as one of the leaders here in the church now, uh, we want our church family to become a community that does just that, that accepts people as they are. We want to be a family that looks out for and encourages one another to be more like Jesus. We want to be about helping each other know the love of Jesus in all of life's ups and downs, all of life's difficulties. This value of belong is one of the four values that we're looking at and learning about over the next few weeks. And as we look forward, we think it's important that these values will serve as a filter uh, as we look at the various activities and ministries that our church is involved in. Okay. Thanks, Mike. Okay, so you all know, as well as I do, that the church has not always upheld this value very well. It has not always been a safe place for people. It hasn't always been a place where people could come, no matter who they were, and discover Jesus and grow. One of my biggest complaints about the church is when I was in leadership growing up was that it often felt like you're welcome to come here, but you have to fix everything first. And then you can come here. We would meet people at the door and if we heard something that was troubling, we wanted them to fix it. Then, like right then. That's not the kind of community that Jesus built. We want to be a place where people can come and be accepted, where they will be encouraged in a lot of different ways to know that they can, that they can do it, that they can make it, and that God has something more for them. We want to be a place where we actually do hold each other accountable. 
And we do that because we love one another and we're involved in each other's lives. It comes from the relationship that we have. And we want to be a place that helps in real ways so that as we have been changed by the love of God, those who come to us will be changed by the love of God as well. This is a core value for us. And church, this is one thing that we do pretty well. We are a family. We do love one another. But we want to push this even further and allow God to transform us into being just the kind of community that Jesus wants us to be. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for Jesus who treated people in such a different way than they had been treated before. We're thankful for the way that he touched those who had not been touched because disease or where they stood in society kept people from them. We're thankful for the patience that he had with people who were really struggling and how he allowed them, invited them to walk alongside him. Father, we are grateful for the way that Jesus didn't let people just disappear. But he challenged them to become more and more who God wanted them to be. And we're thankful for the way that he touched lives, picked people up, fed those who were hungry. God, we want to be the kind of community that does these things as well. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any need for prayer or encouragement this morning, you want to know this God who loves you in such an amazing way, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing this song together.